Lord, we thank you for this day. We can celebrate the tremendous work that your servant Martin Luther King wrought upon this nation and upon the whole world. We thank you that you can use, if you can use a man and the people around him, you can use us too. And so we celebrate the work that you are doing in our midst. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. That is the same God that we worship. We can't even imagine it, Lord. But if you can cause supernovas to walk beside us, Lord, we invite us that our eyes will hugely be opened to see that which is so big that it is not obvious to us. Come, O Lord. We welcome you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. Um, Isaiah chapter 52 addresses the nation of Israel that had been dealt with by God. And what God was doing was purifying them to such an extent that um, they were crushed. They were crushed. But lest you think that God is a negative God who delights in crushing us, you will, no, you will notice in Isaiah chapter 52 a turning point in the book of Isaiah. There's this turning point that happens around Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40 onwards. And then you see a turning point in the de- dealings of God upon Israel. And what God had been doing was to actually bring them to a true and pure relationship with Him and purify their motives purified them from their idolatry. But at Isaiah chapter 52, you see a distinct change in the tone and in the mode of God's workings upon the nation of Israel. And we talked about that last, last Sunday. So I'm going to look at it from verse 1. Okay, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised, and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughters of Zion. Let's stop here for a while. It's interesting that what God was saying to the nation of Israel that had been so bowed down, so dealt with by God, so purified and so chastened by God, that it's very easy when you're going through this to feel you are nothing. Yeah, you feel you're nothing. You're actually negated. And you could easily feel that God is, this is the unrelieved attitude of God towards you because of all the hard things that I've been going through in your life. What God's been wanting to do is to actually purify the nation of Israel so that when God puts His glory upon them, they will shine with a pure and supernatural glory from God. Amen? And that's how God works in our lives. But it says here, awake, awake, verse 1, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. We mentioned last Sunday that before God fulfills a promise for us, there's always this, I don't know whether you can call it a hump, there's there's a little threshold that we have to cross over into the fulfillment of God's promises. God's promises don't just drop in our lap. 
you have to gear up for it. And I'd like to talk for the next few months about this gearing up and the release of God's anointing upon the people of God. So Isaiah chapter 52, suddenly, instead of stripping and stripping and stripping, God comes to the people of God and says, put on your beautiful garments. These were, these referred to, I believe, the priestly garments that the children of Israel, the priests uh, actually uh, carried upon themselves. Yeah? Put on your strength. Put on your strength. That's an amazing thing. What God is saying is that the strength is yours. Not that you will ever own anything the same way that you used to own before your dealings. But your strength in the sense that the strength that I put into your hands, put into your soul, and put into your spirit. Put that on. And the children of Israel had to get used to the fact that after all the crushing, the crushing was not the end of it. The crushing was not all of God's heart. It was just His heart to expand the capacity for divine things. The stretching and the expanding, the stripping, was so that they would have a vessel that's big enough for Him. If not, the vessel will only have a vision for human things. It will be limited to human action and agency. And so what God does is that He brings the nation of Israel to this point. And they've been you know, taken into exile, they've been taken to slavery, they've been humiliated, they've been humbled. And biblical, biblical historians say that after the, the exile, never again was there idolatry in Israel. Idol, idols were never an issue in the Old Testament anymore from Isaiah onwards. From, 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 the, from the restoration onwards, from Nehemiah, Ezra. You never see idols. Do you notice that? Because there was a holiness movement. Not all of it was good, but there was a, there was a, a sense that idols, we will never go back to that. And that's why in the book of Nehemiah and, and Ezra, you'll find that, that, that strong, almost pharisaical uh, desire to never go back to idolatry again. The, the rabbis later began to have this idea that if Israel could not, does not sin for one day, if all of Israel does not sin for one day, Messiah will come. So the zealots, the, 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 the zealous Jews, now they're called Jews, right, would try to impose holiness upon the, upon the nation of Israel. And of course, later when Jesus comes, he has to say, no. That's hypocritical. But one thing's true. There was no more idolatry, at least in the formal sense. There was no more Baal, no more Asherah worship. There was no Canaanite worship anymore after that. Isn't that amazing? There was a stripping. But in that stripping, the nation of Israel could easily be, 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 um, be so down in the dumps that they were actually taken over by their captivity, their Babylonian captivity. And what God was saying to them through Isaiah is this, get ready, put on your strength. Israel will be saying, what, my strength? I don't know strength. What, what are you talking about? And he says, put on your beautiful garments. 
because you're going to have to do it not because you see it in your hands, but you do it by faith. Amen? So, so that's Isaiah 52. And I want uh, to, to, I sense that God is wanting to speak to us about this strength for the next few months. How we can put on this strength, because the strength is the strength of God that He wants to manifest in the world. So let's have a look at this. Put on your strength. Put on your beautiful garments. Wow. How does that happen? It is in this place usually that things trip up. Before God fulfills His, his promises, He gets us ready. Right? He gets us ready. He says, now put on strength. You know, in uh, Isaiah chapter 35, God says, the desert will blossom like the crocus or the rose and, uh, and there will be streams in the desert and uh, get ready. And then he says, fear not. All those who are weak, uh, whose, whose hands are weak, strengthen yourself. Fear not. Take courage. Because God, I'm going to move. It's almost as if before God does something, there is a certain way in which he has to gear us up for what he's doing. He has to gear them up. And so here, Isaiah chapter 52, it's the same thing. There's a gearing up. It doesn't just happen. And I want to address a question that some of us may be having, and that may be, why is it I pray and pray and pray, and nothing happens? Why is it I'm believing and believing and believing for these promises to come, that things will get better, and it doesn't get better? I would put it to you that there's this one hinge upon which everything turns and that has to do with what Isaiah was saying putting on putting on your strength putting on your strength okay in fact I think we can title today's sermon why prayer doesn't work maybe I should be more circumspect why certain kinds of prayer don't work. If you are a person who's been praying and praying and praying, and you find that things don't actually happen, and it's not really working, I believe God has a word for you. Shouldn't more happen. And for that to happen, I'd like to turn to you to a, a very famous passage of Scripture, because that illustrates the thing that um, ha- ha- has to happen in order for strength to come. And it's found in Exodus chapter 14. If you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, we'll look at this. There are times in which prayer itself can be the very thing that prevents you from experiencing God's power. There are sometimes prayer can be the very blockage to power. If you think of prayer as something that's separate from acting in faith. Okay? Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 14, we'll read it from verse 5. The children of Israel had just left Egypt. Yeah, they had just left Egypt. There had been the, 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 the plagues that had been visited upon the nation of Egypt and upon Pharaoh. 
and Egypt and 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 uh, and uh, naturally Israel, the Israelites, former slaves, now just received their freedom, were going out with a what what some translators call a high hand. Yeah, verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with them and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Wow, the children of Israel were pretty pumped, right? They, were, they went out defiantly, another translation says, with a high hand. Wow, wow. Whew. Former slaves. They were going out defiantly. Okay. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Pehahirot in front of Baal Zepon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. I just want to be left alone. That we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you, and you will have only to be silent. Wise words, right? Well, this is what God had to say to Moses. Why do you cry to me? You mean, you didn't want me to cry to you? Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go, shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I had gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. What God is saying is, is that the glory of God will be distinctly seen to be over the glory of Egypt. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was that cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided and the people of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. And you, most of you, I'm sure know the rest of the story. But here's the, here's the thing. In the... 
in the setting out of Israel into the things that God has for them, there is this thing that they go through, that we all go through, that I'm sure you can identify. The first thing that happened was that they went with a high hand or a defiant place. And that was the human jubilation, don't you think? And sometimes it happens when we are excited about doing something for God. Excited about something that God is actually doing, doing in us, through us. We can naturally get excited, we get jubilant. There's nothing really wrong with that. But there is a way in which that kind of jubilation, that raw human jubilation, suddenly is faced with reality. And it says the Egyptians drew near. The nearer the Egyptians drew, the jubilation, the smaller jubilation went, and it became deflation, became fear. And sometimes we go through that, where our high morale, or our confidence, our sense that God is with us and God is going to do great things through us, or that we can do great things, that we are no longer slaves, we are no longer um, people who are oppressed, that we, we have infinite possibilities in us, has a way of facing the reality. And when the reality happens, when the money is needed, when the money is not coming out, people are hard towards us. We come to circumstances that seem like rock hard against us and you can feel the, the rebuff of these things and circumstances begin to, rea- to, to be seen. You realize you're on a high, uh, high tower and you're looking down and you realize the possibility of going splat on the ground is very high. Yeah? And what happens is this, when we are actually going out with a high hand or a, defi- a defiant spirit based upon our own strength, we will often f- face reality. Right? You start off with a big, big, big project, and suddenly the big project, and, and when we start with a big project, from the bird's eye view, from the abstract point of view, it looks good. I frequently get excited by scriptures that, 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 that inspire me. And then we get into it. Then we get to see how difficult it is, and see how disastrous it can be, how catastrophic it could be. Then we suddenly find that all that kind of confidence is challenged, maybe even deflated. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because that's just reality coming. And I tell you something, when God wants to raise us up, He will never raise us up by inspiring us and then causing us to just fly over the obstacles. He will actually cause us to face the obstacles. Because the strength of the obstacles will be equivalent to the strength that He will give to us. And if you don't face these realities, these, these obstacles, and you don't face the utter fearfulness of it, and you don't face your own fears that are there, you will not actually be a mighty man or woman of God. And that is what's happening for us. We go in and God says, go for it. And we go for it. And we are a mixture of trusting God and trusting ourselves. We don't know. You know, we don't know. I mean, I I think I'm trusting God. And then something horrible begins to come against me. Something really hard. Yeah, really hard. Like Pharaoh's hardened heart. And suddenly the hosts are coming against me. And I didn't know that I was really afraid. I thought that when I first came out, 
with a high hand. I was really trusting God. I'm a man, you know, a man of God, full of faith and power. It felt like that. I felt like it. And during the prayer meeting, it really felt powerful. I heard it in the sermon, and I read it in my Bible, and I even heard it from God. It felt like it was going to happen, and then suddenly this thing comes comes across, and then it measure, it calibrates my spirit. It calibrates the strength of my spirit. And I find that I am actually collapsing. I'm completely (laughs) no man of faith and power. No man of victory. Actually, I'm a depressed basket case. And it is these basket cases that God wants to, to use. Not people who just fly over reality. Not just people who are so well educated that they can actually do it by privilege or by some other kind of, kind of thing, or who, who do it all in their mind. No, they actually face the ugliness, the backside of the devil, the armpit of life. They face it, and, they, they, and, it's, and life now no longer seems inspiring. It just seems like the dregs. Just thinking you're dragged through the mud and all that. And you, fear, you face the criticism. You face all the things. And, and you face choice words that are designed by the devil as arrows to really take you down. You're on the road. And if you're on the road and you're experiencing this, don't be discouraged. That's what the children of Israel said. It reveals where we stand. And then if you face this and you, and you stand there and what you are, what's coming up for you is just pure fear, don't give up. Because God is able to give, has, has, sorry, God has power that is infinite and enough for our deficit. But you have to keep moving. Amen? Okay, what does it say here? It says, Israel was going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them. I love that. <laughs> the devil knows all the things we said bad about him. And then he pursues them, pursues us. I remember when I was praying with the, the, the daily prayer some years ago about cancer. And we were praying for people with cancer. And I remember binding the spirit of cancer and binding the spirit of cancer. And I, suddenly I realized it's going to come after me. It's going to come after me. And I spoke to, 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 to Cindy and I said, I think I'm going to have a battle with cancer. I had no idea about what was going on. And suddenly I felt the weight of it. It wasn't too long before I went to see the doctors for my checkup. And he says, your PSA is so high, probably you have cancer. And I knew that that was where what I really felt about cancer, what I really felt about my, my chances against cancer, was manifest. But the Lord said, I'm going to fill all that place in which defiance against cancer has been brought to its end. I'm going to fill it with my healing. I'm going to fill it with victory. And every day I face the same kind of attack. And God was going to use that place to be a place of filling. Amen? 
And I remember sharing with you, Sunni, here, how that I think this is going to happen. And I, I just wanted to put it aside, but it just kept on coming. It says, you're going to fight the fight, the fight of your life. It's okay. I'm, I'll be with you. So he said, the, Egypt, the Egyptians pursued them. You know? When we fight spiritual warfare, expect that it's not a one-sided thing. We fight against the devil. The devil will pursue us back. But we will have the victory. If you don't give up. All Pharaoh's horses and the chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them. Not only, not only came close by and bit their butts, but they actually overtook them. So they were in front of them. So that moving forward meant moving into the Pharaoh's armies. They overtook them. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. In the scriptures, the phrase lifted up their eyes always refers to not just lifting up our eyes physically, but lifting our vision to what's really there, even invisible things. It, it, it speaks of not sight only, physical sight, but it speaks of spiritual perspective. So that when, when Abraham was separated from Lot, God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes. Remember that? Yeah? When Abraham was, 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 uh, was, uh, was giving up uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac, the Lord spoke to him, lift up your eyes. It's always lift up your eyes. And whenever you lift up your eyes, you either see the devil or you see God. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an invisible seeing. And he says, lift, and he says, they, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And they feared greatly. It's almost as if God shook them to where they really stood. So that the substance of their faith was actually measured. They thought they actually had, by inspiration and by all the singing and all the, the rah-rahs, this much faith. But actually they had only this tiny faith there. That actually the, the vast majority of their, their emotions were just pure faith, fear. Pure fear. You don't give up. You then get overwhelmed by that. Because even a little bit of faith is enough. Small as a mustard seed. Enough to grow. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? The Jewish, Israeli human sense of humor has been around for a long time. <laughs> what have you done to us? I have said this many times, something like this, what have I done? What have I done? What have I got myself into? In bringing us out of Egypt, is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone? And that speaks to me of the fact that, you know, when we face situations like that, the resident fears that we have arise. They are talking to Moses and they are saying, Moses, this is what I told you. We told you that before. This is the thing that we feared most. Even without the Egyptians, we already feared it. It got suppressed, but it's still there. And sometimes when God tests us, or we are going through a great project, or a great uh, vision, God allows that 
resident fear. Plato calls it, it's the, it's the lie in the heart. It just lies around there. You can't see it, but it's there. It's like a, it's like a snake. It's just it's in there. It's dormant. And all it needs is a pharaoh to come after you or some kind of hardness to come. And then it just comes up. And all that is within the plan of God. Because God is wanting to slay those serpents. Amen? But you can see that that's happened. When we do something for the Lord, and we give our lives to the Lord, the Lord allows these things to happen because the greatest project that He has is our own transformation. Even more than the big thing we want to do for God. And what God does is that He just brings that out. Amen? You ready for more? Okay. <laughs> Leave us alone. And I've seen the tendency for great people to, who want to do great things and boast about all these things. Suddenly they're saying, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I just want my own personal peace. Just, I just want to be left on my own. And uh, I don't want to be anything great. I just... No time for this greatness business. I want to be just me. Leave me alone. I'll be a little dab of mud right there. And it's okay. And suddenly all that vision goes. But God is still there. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For I would, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness, wilderness. And that is the point in which many Christians decide by a sleight of hand to say, let's go for Egypt. Egypt's good. Egypt's glorious. Egypt's well organized. Egypt has a lot of food. Egypt is good. The glory of Egypt is good. And that's where Christians can easily lose their vision. And their vision begins to reduce to being just as good as Egypt. Just as good as Babylon. Just as good. We are Christians, but we are also cool. We are Christians, but we are also Babylonian too. Egyptian too. Whatever it is. And the, and the visions falls on account of the fact that pursuing the vision reduces you to your fears. And when you are in the midst of all that, you think that all this thing was just a total delusion and Christianity and holiness was just nothing and actually in that place the old life seems pretty good less trouble and Egypt looks good the material things and the accolades sound really good and he says, be sure of being gone back to Egypt. And that is the point that's often very critical for all of us. I want to tell you, if you have experienced discomfort like that, don't go back to Egypt. God hasn't left you. He has not, he has not abandoned you. He's just taking you through the Red Sea. It's a necessary part of God causing us to work the works of God. Amen?
Okay, let's let's keep going. What, what time is it? It's lying to me, right? Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty-five. Okay. And then, of course, Moses has his best answer. Okay, Moses is great. Moses holding, keeping the faith. Moses says to them, verse 30, 13, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. He believes that. And the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And so Moses is in this mode of prayer, I would say. Yeah? He's, he's in the mode of, the prayer, of prayer, and he's prophesying. And he's saying, don't give up, don't give up. Stand firm. But God has something else to say to Moses. And here's the thing. God says, Why are you calling out to me? Why are you calling out to me? Tell the people, go forward. Now, sometimes prayer can be an impediment to faith. You can think of prayer sometimes as the pre-faith thing. The pre-action thing. And you can actually stay in the realm and hide in the realm of prayer. And that is where prayer didn't work. Because all of God's machinery was all ready to part the Red Sea. And if Moses said, just stand firm, nobody's going to move. And the Red Sea would not be parted. God says, no, 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 not stand firm. Move forward. There's a subtle difference, don't you think? There's a subtle difference. Now, God is not saying don't pray. We do not advocate action without prayer. But prayer is not a supplement to action either. Prayer is the thing. I want to suggest to you that prayer is not the opposite of action. Prayer is an action. Because what happens is that when you pray, you take on the spiritual powers. You take on your own ghosts, your own demons right now. You take it and you fight until you begin to sense something breaking. And if you don't have that, you won't have the unction to move forward. You'll just be standing. And what God is saying is this, your prayer has to be a, a movement upwards in which the as the, as the heaviness and the, and the, the, the dense dark, darkness begins to clear, then you begin to find yourself being released from the, your fears and ascending over the fears so that you can take action. But if you don't pray like that, if you just tell God things which He already knows, if you just stay in your mind and you don't pray as the, and enter into the work of prayer, you are going to find yourself at the end of prayer still in the same place down in the dumps saying all the right things, asking for the same thing, and all that, and it doesn't jettison you into some kind of trigger. A trigger for action. That is why you see some people, they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and nothing happens. You can sense their prayer has no power. It's kind of whiny, you know. Please, God. Yeah. Hey, I'm not making fun of everybody. I'm myself like that. Cindy knows, like, sometimes she say, Come on, Michael, let's pray. Yes, Lord. Oh, boy. And I almost think there's a difference between prayer 
and reality. I'm almost tempted to think that prayer is in some kind of other realm that is not connected with reality. We want to say this, that prayer that is not connected with a, with a readiness for action, a readiness that is, that is lined with the sense of our own fears and our, our, our inabilities, but, but is waiting on God to fill, expecting that God will fill, and ready and obedient to act when God wants us to act. But we just need His strength. Prayer that is not that is prayer that actually is, it just stays the same place. Does that make sense? That's why in daily prayer, what we, what we, we are practicing is prayer that's moving, that's building, it's work. Prayer is actually entering in with God in His work. Not telling things to God in very pretty ways. Not describing things which he already knows. He, didn't, he does not need your description. What he need, he, what he, he invites us to is for us to enter into not our description of things, not our information, but into the things that he is doing. Does that make sense? That is why during daily prayer we enter into that, so that when at the end of the prayer we we are, we felt we we sweated. Some of us may feel exhausted but refreshes in, a, in another way. In prayer, the work of prayer is an action. Other than that, it's just hiding. That is why prayer can sometimes be completely hopeless, useless. Even prophesying. If, you don't, if, you're, if you're not ready and geared to do this thing that you can't do on your own, in your own flesh and which you are, you're scared about, but there's a way in which prayer is to surrender to God and says, God, I'm willing to do everything that you want me to do, but I don't have anything. Strengthen me, hold my head up high, because if not, my head will just fall off. And without you, I can't do anything. Does that make sense? That's why prayer can be a hiding place from action. On the other hand, action without being filled with prayer just becomes defiance. It just becomes human act, will, will human willfulness. And that kind of thing that separates prayer from, from obedient action is the most dangerous, most damning thing that is there in the, in the Christian world, especially in the prayer world. What God wants to do is to actually bring us to our zeroness. That's why all we've been, we've been speaking about is the stripping, 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 stripping until we come to a point where we see the, the very nub of our own fears, our own co- corruption. And then we ask God to cleanse us. And we recommit ourselves to Him. And then we see that the task ahead of us is impossible. What do we do? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. But I'm not going to hide myself in Him forever and hide away from what he's asking me to do because there's a way in which prayer brings us to a point where we realize I'm compelled to act I'm empowered to act I have a word I speak that's why in our worship whenever we are worshipping we are acknowledging the presence of God that acknowledgement of the presence of God should result in the gifts of the Spirit flowing. Right? Or else, what's this all this? It's just 
singing, 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 singing. You know? It's not bad. But perhaps what God has for us is, to, is this threshold in which, in this threshold, the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. But it's a little hump. It's a little hump. And it makes all the difference which side of the hump you're on. Amen? And so, may I suggest to you that what, what um, Moses was, was being faced with was God's kind of rebuke. Yeah? His gentle rebuke. Lord said to Moses, very lovingly, he had that relationship with Moses that he can say, Moses, why are you, why do you cry to me? If he didn't have that, Moses, that relationship with Moses, he would have said, I say, old chap, I suggest you don't actually cry to me, but actually suggest to the children of Israel, just gently suggest that they move a little forward. But because Moses was so intimate with the Lord, the Lord said, Why are you crying to me? Moses didn't feel, Oh, you don't love me anymore. He had that relationship with him. Yeah? Had that relationship with him. There is a point in which prayer has a logical, uh, what do you call it? The word is telos in Greek, the purpose. It's an end point there. And that is why when we pray, we are engaged in prayer. He increases faith. Now faith comes by hearing. And what happens is that when we bring ourselves before the Lord, we worship Him, we worship Him. What happens is that the skin, the desensitization, the, the numbness that's in, in us, the distraction in us begins to shone, get shorn away. And we begin to be sensitive to hearing the voice of God. Yeah? But may I say, say something about worship? We, I was sharing with the, 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 those on daily prayer. During the charismatic movement, somewhere in the late 70s, a man by the name of Merlin Carothers and several other people all around the world, and this was a, 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 a movement, began to talk about praise as a very powerful thing. So he wrote books like Prison to Praise, so Power of Praise and all that. And suddenly the charismatic movement caught a revelation of how thanksgiving and praise was very powerful. The Lord dwells upon the praises of his people. In Second, Second Chronicles chapter 20, um, um, Jehoshaphat faced a vast army that was far, far stronger and superior to his. And the Lord said, take your stand. Yeah, he said, take your stand. And they worshipped him in the beauty of holiness. And as they worshipped him in the, in the beauty of holiness, prayer became pivotal because it, God, in this, in this praise, sorry, praise, he began to set ambush for the enemies. Right? Praise actually is powerful. But praise is not just us giving God his due in words. When we praise Him, we come out of ourselves and we let God be the one who is the center. Not thinking in terms of how, what praise will do for me, not allowing my own feelings about it, my own motives 
to be the center of it, but God to be the center of it. And we praise, when we praise God, we are not just saying words, we are allowing praise to force our willfulness out of ourselves towards God. Amen? When we do that, the Lord draws us out and the praise draws us out so that at a certain point, we are filled with God, we are actually immersed in God. We are in God, we are, we are drowning in God. We are baptized in God. Suddenly the praise actually is, is, is the center of us. We are not the center of ourselves anymore. I think that that is the praise that becomes powerful. If you don't praise God until you become kind of caught up in Him and absorbed in Him and surrendered to Him, so much so that He becomes the, the all in all for you. He's the all in all. What happens is that your praise will still be, you are here, God is there, you are praising Him, and you're giving Him at least half your heart. And when that happens, you are still here, and you're not in God. Experientially, I mean. Yeah? You're not in God. What praise does is this, we worship Him and we praise Him. And that is why... In, throughout church history, there was a time that's given until there comes a point where a transaction takes place as we are worshipping and we are praising God. We are giving Him our all, giving Him as best as we can. And then suddenly God begins to take hold of us. He takes hold of us. And when He takes hold of us, our thoughts are not just our own. They are the Lord's. Our convictions are no longer our own. They are the Lord's. Amen? And then he puts faith in us. The disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 28, 29, what must we do that we can work the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now today during communion we are talking about that. He is sent. Can you imagine that? That Jesus is sent to us? He didn't just say pontificating in his holy heaven, and says, you can have a little bit of my essence because it's so big and so massive and so all-encompassing. Yeah, take some. When Jesus was sent to you and me, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he's saying, I'm sent to you personally for your particular situation, your particular malady, your particular sickness. And he, did that. he does that, you know? Isn't that amazing? So, may I suggest to you that prayer naturally enters into an action. An action. We, I'm going to close with this. Um, some friends of us invited us to stay in their hotel in, in Bath. In, it's called the Gainsborough. It's a very beautiful hotel. And they are very generous to us. They were the owners of a multinational corporation in Bath. Well, the, the water power at Bath was owned by them. And while we were having tea there, um, the general manager of this chain came to us and talked to us about our friends who had given us this lovely stay in Bath. You know Bath is the place where the Roman baths are there, where 
the beautiful 10,000 year old water, still warm, still hot, flows through that very famous bath. Not bath, bath. Yeah. You've, you've heard of it. And, uh, and so, a little bit later, we, I think we had lunch with them, and they shared with us the testimony of how that actually came about. And what they shared was this. The Lord was, asking, was, was speaking to them about expanding their business into this area. Uh, they were Malaysians. Into what was, what was going on in terms of water and power and all that all over the world. And Bath was one place in which the city was going through a difficult time and they wanted to sell their water. The water company was actually wanting to be sold. So the Lord spoke to them and they prayed about it. And the more they prayed about it, they felt the conviction to actually put an, a bid for this water company in Bath. Probably the most famous water company in, in, in Britain. So they made a bid for that. But their bid was so low that the chances of them actually getting it was very, very minuscule. Larger and more famous American companies and European companies had made bigger bids for that. But here's where prayer and faith actually comes. Prayer actually takes you into an action that will be a supernatural action. And the Lord spoke to them, just offered this amount. Still multi-millions, but, you know, this amount of pounds. And then they just left it at that. But I remember they said they, that they had to make that offer in a timely way. Years passed by, and the economy began to tank. And when the economy tanked, something happened. The two big boys who were competitors, one of them was an American company, pulled out. Pulled out. And they were offering more than double what our friend's corporation was, was offering. And suddenly they got this call. Do you want it? But they were offering so little. And they said yes. And they got it. The general manager was weeping when he said that when this company took over water company and did that. They did so much for the city of Bath that their whole standard of living has risen. The first thing they did when they took over this, this water company in, in Bath was to have a free concert for the whole city of Bath in the park. And they brought in the three tenors, Pavarotti and all that, who actually they brought to the Lord. He died, Pavarotti died a Christian. And they gave a free concert. And they asked Pavarotti to sing one song that he did not know. And it's by 
the, the, the composer's method. And it's called, It Is Well With My Soul. They looked for the last remaining descendant of Spafford. And they found her, Lady Jane something. And she was able to come and share about the song. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever the, whatever the, yes, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine Pavarotti singing that song in an Italian accent? The three tenors sang that song and the place was filled with tears. So when we went to go and visit that place, wherever we went, we found the good of it that was actually happening. The cathedral that was in disrepair was repaired. The Bath Cathedral with the, the contributions from our friends. But the most important thing is this. The prayer that they were praying was not going to result in just praying and then something just happens. They had to do one thing that the prayer would empower them to do and it's to put that money down. By the way, the American company that pulled out was Enron. God knew the timing. God knew the timing. Amen? Let us pray. God may have been taking you through the Red Sea. Or you may have been contemplating this vast, watery hellhole in front of you. And God is saying, don't be afraid of fear. Don't be afraid of yourself. I have set before you an open door and a straight path. You are not going to ever look at yourself as the decider of how things are going to happen. You will look to me. It may not look great right now. You experience hardness. You breathe as soon. You may be experience the pursuit of enemies. You may be pursued. You may be experiencing shortfalls. You may be experiencing approaching fast approaching deadlines. All of which you have no power within yourself to meet effectively and you are praying continue praying enter in with what God's doing not just pray our little prayers that describe to God what he already knows but enter in call upon his name draw close to him Sit with him. Doesn't matter if your mind wanders. Just sit there. Don't give up. 
He has to come. You cannot make prayer happen in an effective way. He has to take your prayer and take you and bring you into it. So sometimes you just have to wait and just worship the Lord and praise Him. Just praise Him. You think, you think you, you, sometimes you think you're just doing something that's really foolish. And then at some point, at His pleasure, He grabs hold of your praise. He grabs hold of you all waiting on Him. And suddenly everything comes together. And when it happens once, then you know it can happen again and again and again. But once that happens, then you're on the road. Your prayer has broken through to some extent. And then strength begins to rise. And you know at a certain point what to do. But this time, you're not afraid anymore. It comes naturally. That's the power of prayer that results in an action that will trigger the miracle. Praise your name, Lord. He said, you are a rock. All other ground is sinking sand. We come to the rock right now, Lord. We bless your name. You are our only rock. You are our only good right now. And we thank you, Lord, that our depression, our discouragement and our fears do not disqualify us from being in your game. And so we welcome you right now. We surrender our lives to you. I want to invite you to make a commitment to prayer, but not the kind of prayer that hides, but the prayer that's ready to be obedient and to be empowered and to be filled. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles. Praise your name, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing on us. If you would like to open your hands as a sign of commitment to God and say, Lord, I want to make a covenant with you to do what is necessary. Not dependent on whether I think I can do it or not, but depending upon you. But I'm committed, Lord, in Jesus' name.